Hi, I'm John, and I'm here to welcome you into the delicious and warm and frothy world of Stinklings, a podcast that we um, are doing about bad fantasy and how I have produced a ton of it. Here we go. Hey, my name, my name is John, and uh, I'm brother. I am... My name is Laura, and I am uh, I am John's sister. Yes. Yes. And as I wanted this to be, you know, fair, and to show that we're not just here to make fun of everyone else's bad fantasy writing, but, you know, I mean, we'll do some of that too, we're going to start with my own bad fantasy story that I began writing at the tender and beautiful young age of 12 and continued writing for an embarrassingly long time, despite the fact that it was, quite frankly, awful, as we shall see. You did work on it for a while, though. I did. Years and years yeah. went into this thing. And and I'm sure lots and lots of fantasy writers have done that, where you you start this this grandiose high fantasy story when you're, like, how old? Like, you know, let's say, you know, low, low teenager. You're, like, a low teen. You're a low teeny, a low, low teen. teenager. <laughs> yes, low church teen, and <laughs> that's when you begin. And and it's so cool to you, and you keep working on it for forever, convinced you are the next Tolkien. And then, um, eventually, you you realize that it wasn't actually that great, or else you have a horrible experience where you go to a college creative writing class where you present your horrible fantasy thing you've been writing since you were a teenager and uh, you have a bad experience because everyone points out, you know, it's, it's actually not, not that good of a concept. Maybe you should scratch the whole thing and start from like, all over again, which is never a great <laughs> thing to realize. But that's what's going to happen at some point. Um, and so this, this, this is not to say you should not write fantasy. It is to say, however, that... Um, a lot of fantasy is bad. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gets to our like our love-hate relationship. And this is why we're doing this. I am John, well, brother, lover, and hater of fantasy. I'm Laura, and I I don't hate fantasy. I just despair for a lot of it. So it's a love-despair relationship for me. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll second that. Love-despair. Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of the genre is just not that good. Well, and a great deal of that, of course, comes from the fact, like you mentioned, that a lot of people want to be the next Tolkien, but then they forget, you know, what it was that made Tolkien so good, namely originality, depth, uh, good ideas. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and he didn't get his start trying to be the next him. He got his start just being himself. He was the first him that ever was. Yeah, he, he was no other him, but his own him. Yes, exactly. So yeah. he he just did what he wanted to do, really. And it just so happened that what he wanted to do was really, really cool. And this is not to say that what you, random writer, wants to do <laughs> is not cool, but, but it is to say, you know, you're probably going to have better success trying to be yourself and to do your own thing and yeah. to realize that it's okay to not be that good at first. There's, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as like a shortcut to being a good writer. And there's no such thing as like being a prodigy good writer from mm-hmm. like child prodigy good writers don't really exist. I don't think. Uh, 
well, no, well, uh, no, no, you're you, right. You can have like people who can compose good sentences as children, sure. People who yeah. sound intelligent, but a good narrator, like creating a good narrative, creating a good story. I mean, it'll be cute, maybe. You can have adorable stories told by kids, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be like literature. There's no, there's no Mozart equivalent in writing. <laughs> Just like watch anybody who like listens to this immediately comes up with a list. Like, actually, there are like seven child prodigy writers out there and you're so ignorant you didn't do your research uh citation needed yeah (laughs) but i mean i haven't heard i'm in the artist illustration community so i would have heard something about that i would would think because everyone likes to point to aragon by christopher Um, paolini it's well hmm yeah, we'll we'll get to that. I Eventually. Guess. <laughs> Eventually. Uh, let's just suffice to say right now. Yeah, that's Exhibit A in mm-hmm. there is no Mozart equivalent in writing. Yeah. Yes, we we love the fantasy genre, but a lot of the time we feel that uh, what gets produced is simply not that good. Even stuff that's like widely consumed and popular is mm-hmm. not that good. It gets a bad rap in literary circles for the reason that a lot of it simply just isn't that good. There's also yeah. the fact that I think a lot of literary circles are stuffy and, you know. Yeah, oh, fantasy. It's so... Gosh. So plebeian. Plebeian goshity. Ugh. Mm. It's not true literature. It couldn't be. But the fact is, uh, fantasy authors don't really do much to contradict this narrative <laughs> a lot of the time, so... Uh, yeah, typically. We're so. we're hoping that this maybe could be a positive influence in the world if, if fantasy authors decide, okay, we're going to step it up and work on the craft, and, and what is the craft? What is fantasy? And I think that's partly why there's a problem with fantasy writers, is there's no real... I mean, there's a lot of there are a lot of people who will talk about what fantasy is, mm-hmm. but I don't think that there is one accepted or even a, different schools of accepted ideas of this is good, this is bad fantasy. Yeah. And we want to maybe help establish some of these guidelines. Yeah, not to say that you know we're experts in this field. I guess yeah, for you yourself. Will, I mean, as I'm... you will see. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, I know. Big, no, really. Uh, we're oh, not high and mighty. Now, are we? Okay. Oh, how the mighty have fallen! Because we're going to read my own bad fantasy story shortly. Yeah, so. but the point, point, point being, we're not experts. We just love fantasy, and we kind of are sort of dissecting what it is we love about it and why other people love it it's it's less oh hear us talk about what's what makes good fantasy and more just you know discussing it and uh trying to discern what qualities there are that one must look for and strive for in their own fantasy us you know us included because we're writers who are just you know starting out ourselves really so well and and having a jolly old romp doing yes, it. Yes, a very Sue. jolly romp. <laughs> For, um, you know, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and the others, many are aware that they formed a group called the Inklings. They would meet in a pub and they would review each other's writing. Yeah. And they kind of made a gathering of this. They, they made an event of it. They would, um, they had a game where they would read the poetry of one Amanda McKittrick Ross. <laughs> 
a very interesting woman <laughs> whose uh, poetry is so bad that they their game was they would see who could read the furthest before they started laughing. And it is in that spirit that we want to do our own uh, critiquing. And uh, yes, I will be playing the role of Miss Ross tonight. Rather, 12-year-old me will be playing the role of Miss Ross tonight. Okay. Ms. Ross. Or is it Mrs. Ross? I don't know. I'm sorry. Ms. 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 Roston. I'm sorry, Amanda. I, I do not actually um, know the correct um, way to address you. So uh, We don't know your marital status, sorry. No, nor how you would prefer to be called, because yeah. she was very uh, particular about things like propriety. She very famously um, wouldn't uh, write the word sex in her story, <laughs> when refer- in her stories, in her poetry, when referring to one's biological sex. She actually censored the word. Um, uh. But she included it in her poem. <laughs> so we have this wonderful poem, which ends with like women uh, revealing too often their heads, necks, and all too often their... And that's how the poem ends. <laughs> because she there can't... what? What was she revealing? What? Meanwhile, she apparently has no problem describing rotting flesh and... Um, and alcoholic women, uh, how they should be flogged with uh, whips with fish hooks on their buttocks, which is another poem of hers. Apparently buttocks are fine, but the word sex is not. Well, I guess that I I have no words for what I have just heard. (laughs) Yeah, she was an interesting lady. I, in my story, I have far fewer buttocks. So, yeah, you have a distinct and, quite frankly, disappointing lack of buttocks. I on. am disappointed myself yes. in the the sheer the the sheer. I'm gonna have to edit this as I think of the word I'm trying to actually say, <laughs> because there is one word in my mind: the sheer. There are no buttocks. There are we no just buttocks. Say that. We'll just leave it at that, yeah. and we apologize for that. It's it, gravely terrible. Anyway, gasp! Is it time for us to read? Okay, let me try that again. Gasp! Gasp! Is it... Gasp! Is it time for us to talk about our first actual quasi-literary critical thing? Yes! Let's talk about this thing. This thing is the beginning. Okay. Now, I've always felt that the first line is one of the most important because it can make or break somebody's interest in your story. I mean, I I worked at a publishing company for a while and I reviewed manuscripts. And one thing that I always did when I'm reading these manuscripts that are being submitted for publication was read the first line. And if it if it sucked me in, if it was an interesting line, if it was well written, if it was pithy, if, if something about it stood out to me. I'd be like, okay, I'm automatically going to give this like five points on my scale because this is, it it drew me in. That takes some doing. That takes some some craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of fantasy novels and a lot of the time they were so focused on the high fantasy world building that they forgot to tell a story. And to illustrate this, we're going to read the first lines of some classic fantasy novels and maybe just general like fiction, genre fiction novels. Yes. And uh, we will compare that to how I began my 12-year-old self's high fantasy epic, which okay. I, I very ambitiously called the Adzel series, <laughs> despite the fact that I never finished one volume in said series. So I actually want to share some fun moments about this outline. We were, it was so exciting. We had, there were two of us who were writing this, hmm. one of whom 
served the very valuable function of coming up with really stupid ideas and not helping write it. (laughs) And the other one came up with other stupid ideas and then actually put in all the work. And I think we can tell by who has a copy of the manuscript, (laughs) which one was which. One of the great things that we, uh, one of the best ideas we came up with was it was going to be people going on this grand epic journey through the haunted ruin-filled forests of this land, which on its own, this is not an inherently bad idea. Uh, But at one point, they were going to have to swim up a river that actually, rather than flowing out to sea, flowed in from the sea into an ancient cavern place where we had uh, some ancient tomb. Ancient, 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 bad, scary, evil magic stuff needed to be fought off with good. We also conceived of these things. They were like evil emus. <laughs> what? I, I missed that. Well, we never actually got around to writing this part, so. Oh, dang it! I that, know. I, what? They were going to be. Well, and the thing is, when you say emu, that's a lot cooler than what we had in mind. Uh, my friend wanted something to be like orcs, but didn't want to do orcs for fear of copyright infringement. So he's like, "What if, what if there were these these like things, like these glob creatures with teeth, but they walked on long, skinny legs?" And. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Twelve-year-old me was down with that. <laughs> well, I'm. It it could have been scary. I mean, but <laughs> I just picture Baba Yaga's house with teeth. There's a lesson, everyone. Original does not mean it's good. Here we uh, f- first lines of of books to sort of we, yes. we can rate them on a scale of one to five. Um, five being um, what what's our scale? What what are the things? I would say we should judge it uh, based on... Five um, magicals? What? One out of five magicals? Like, one out of five magicals? What? Yeah, like how, what, what's our scale? Is, is it magicals? Is it hobbits? Like okay. out, of, out of five fantasies. Out of five fantasies? That's so boring, though. I don't know. One out of five J.K. Rowling's. I don't know. One out of five Rowling's. Yeah. <laughs> this is the book of three. Okay. Uh, chapter one, the assistant pig keeper. Taryn wanted to make a sword, but Call, charged with the practical side of his education, decided on horseshoes. How many, uh, out of how many fantasies is that? Out of out of five rollings. Out of, out of five rollings. Or Tolkien's or whatever. Uh, I would actually give that uh, four. Four out of five uh, rollings. Yeah, because I like how direct it is. Like it just gets right to it. Puts mm-hmm. you right in with the characters. At the same time, though, I don't know. Some people might wish for a little bit more buildup. A tiny bit, maybe. Oh, maybe we should do first paragraphs now that I think of it. Because you're getting a little more. And so it had been horseshoes all morning long. Mm-hmm. Terran's arms ached. Soot blackened his face. At last, he dropped the hammer and turned to Call, who was watching him critically. Um, And I, I would even give this, like, four... Four Rollings and a Tolkien, which is like 4.5. Or maybe it should be four Tolkiens and a Rolling. But yeah, yeah, that actually, I mean, we're accurate, actually. Yeah, 4.5 <laughs> Tolkiens, because we get so much from these few words. This is good craftsmanship here, where we have characters introduced. We have Taryn, we have Call. We learn a lot about them. Taryn wants adventure. He wants to make a sword. He, he's We gather he's younger already from this. Maybe, I mean, that's what I got. He's younger. He's still being educated. And Call's in charge, and Call is, we already get a lot about him. It's its all about, you know, let, let's be kind of pacifist here. Horseshoes, they're better than swords. And 
and mm-hmm. he's a hard worker. He's doing smithing. Yeah, we, we get a lot about what's going on with just those sh- few short words. And the composition is good. We have very small words, um, largely monosyllabic, which is good for this kind of readership. This is intended for younger readers. Mm-hmm. But they're not like stupid words. These are this is a well crafted sentence, well crafted paragraph. I, I give it a four point five out of five Tolkien's. I had the Hobbit up next, but I'm like, I think I'm too connected to it to judge its merits. I don't know. I think I think it would be good to to read the introduction mm-hmm. to the Hobbit because it's it's kind of iconic, and it'd be good to like mm-hmm. talk about what makes it iconic. <clears throat> Well, let's see. And uh, everyone can say it along with me if if you have it memorized. Like <laughs> I do. Uh, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell, uh, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole. And that means comfort. And I absolutely love this opening because it tells you pretty much everything you need to know about hobbits. And uh, it gives you kind of a, a really nice just introduction into the story. And it even kind of sort of starts to introduce the theme of the story overall, like right in that first paragraph. Yeah, I, I would say, well, it doesn't really tell you anything about the story itself. I mean, it tells you there's a hobbit. It tells yeah. you, it gives you some setting, a little bit of world building. But more importantly, it sets the tone of the story. And, and like the priorities of hobbits. Yeah, well, and I think that that's what sets up the theme of the story, which mm. if you've read, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this, I would hope that you've read The Hobbit. Uh, the Hobbit's whole, even really like the whole Lord of the Rings whole thing is about, you know, simple, small things overcoming seemingly insurmountable, complex, awful, dark uh, obstacles and enemies and uh, I think this introduction introduces that sort of line of thought that whole theme very very effectively it does I though maybe the thing I, I don't want to do is is rate it then out of Tolkien's because yeah. it is it, Tolkien <laughs> it, yeah and but if I if I'm honest if I didn't have my connection to this story already mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that would have sucked me in because it's it's well written, it it really conveys all the things we've said, but but I don't know if it's a very like gripping. Well, and again, I think we paragraph. have this is where you have to sit down and wonder like, so is this because of the quality of the writing, or is it my own personal like taste? In... Well, I think there's also a generational thing. I think we read yeah. different stories, and there's there's a very different style that sells today versus what maybe sold in Tolkien's day. Because this was a pretty good selling book. It it was a good yeah. enough seller that the publisher prompted him for a sequel, which is where we get the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, although you know he'd been planning that for years oh it, it helps when you've already had the you know the silmarillion your, your world is outlined yeah <laughs> um, to that level of detail and and he had plans for a further um for further story down the line we we know uh what we know what aragorn did after the lord of the rings we have the fates of all the characters so you know he, he definitely had all these things planned out but to be fair i think today that line might not sell in today's market as a first paragraph yeah, in my humble opinion. I don't know. I would actually disagree. I think I've read a few fantasy books that have come out fairly recently. And um, I think it would have connected with a fairly 
big, large number of people. It connected with me, and I didn't read it until I was, well, okay, I read it when I was in fifth grade. I really like that opening line, like, a lot, and um, even if I ha didn't know the rest of the story, I would still probably really like it. So I, I have two more. I actually have quite a few more, but I'm only going to do two more okay. um, so that I don't like dominate the whole time we hear. Right. Um, so Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. <clears throat> Chapter one, The Boy Who Lived. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. I give that, personally, a good five out of five Tolkien's. Because it does not tell you much about Harry Potter, the titular character, but it sure does give you an idea of the tone of the story, and it is a gripping first paragraph. It's fascinating. You, you, it's kind of funny. It tells you, oh, there's definitely going to be strange and mysterious things, but this is going to be kind of like a fun, lighthearted book. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it is. When you read that paragraph, that is basically the book you're going to be getting. Yeah. And yeah, that's true. I, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. It's like, I would actually give that like a four, four out of five, hmm. I guess. Because, I mean, I like it too a lot. And I think it, it describes so much about the world that they're, I mean, about the Dursleys themselves, all just in those two paragraphs. Really, all you need to know <laughs> about the Dursleys <laughs> is just in those two paragraphs. But... The way that they're written, I don't know. I, I love J.K. Rowling's books. I don't know about her most recent stuff, but we aren't talking about that. Sometimes, you know, when she writes, you can tell that she's very, very proud of how, oh, what's the word, of how charming something she wrote was. And so it's almost like, ooh, I'll put it in a little frame and up on the wall and see, this is really cute and charming. And I, I I don't know. It kind of reads like that a little bit to me. But I, again, that just might be my own my own thing that might not have really any bearing on the quality of the writing whatsoever. So, and maybe maybe it's like taste is subjective. Uh, again, yeah. Again, it's that whole sit down. Is it yeah. your is it your taste or the quality? I think it might just be my own personal taste. But I really I really really like this opening. Still, it is still like you know you know. Four Tolkien's and a and a rolling for me. <laughs> I, I, and I do give it the five out of five Tolkien's there just because I mean it's it's a very well crafted paragraph. It's it's it it tells you a lot in very little. It conveys the tone and 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 so on and so forth. Basically repeating what I said. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I think we can agree it's a very good first paragraph with varying degrees of reception. Yeah, and there's. You know, it works. It draws you in. It tells you, you know, what you need to know. And it, it just it works really well. And, and now uh, to end, I actually want to compare two. Okay. I'm moving around, so it's going to maybe sound a little weird because I have all these different books laying around. Okay. So the first one, and I'm going to skip the first paragraph, actually, because it's uh, the same paragraph in every book. And it's more of a, um, it more serves as a Greek chorus at the, in, at the onset of a play rather than the actual first paragraph of the story. I'm going to begin with the real, in my view, what is the first paragraph of the story. <clears throat> Born below the ever cloud-capped peaks that gave the mountains their name, the wind blew east across the sand hills, once the shore of a great ocean before the breaking of the world. Down it flailed into two rivers. 
into the two rivers, um, into the tangled forest called the Westwood, and beat at two men walking with a cart and a horse down the rock-strewn track called the Quarry Road. For all that spring should have come a good month since, the wind carried an icy chill as if it would rather bear snow. So there's that paragraph. And uh, here's the other one I wanted to read. Chapter 1, in which Sophie talks to hats. <laughs> in the land of Ingury, where such things as seven-league boots and cloaks of invisibility really exist, it is quite a misfortune to be born the eldest of three. Everyone knows you are the one who will fail first and worst if the three of you set out and seek your fortunes. So uh, I think we might recognize both of these books. One of the, I, the other one's The Eye of the World, right? First one is The Eye of the World by Robert Jordan. Yeah. And the second one is Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. Yeah. And we're comparing these? Yeah, if we compare these. I mean, of course, okay. we got to rank them. Yeah. Um, how, how would you rank them each? I, I couldn't get into it because of this introduction. Hmm. It, Which, bear in mind, is the second paragraph. The first one is the Greek chorus introduction. Yeah, I mean, I got through that part, but the the official like official start of the book, that part always like lost me. But, I mean, again, I was like a preteen when I first started re- reading it, but mm-hmm. still, I had a pretty high reading level, just so you know. You know I was no like, excuses. Rank, rank, rank. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I read Dune when I was in middle school, you know, so hey, yeah. I, uh, I just couldn't get into it because of the introduction. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I give it like a, I give it a two out of five. Mm-hmm. Two I'm out sorry. of five Tolkien's? Yeah, two okay. out of five Tolkien's. Two Brooks. Two Brooks. Two Brooks. Two Brooks. It's maybe two Brooks. Maybe two Brooks. Yeah, okay. Uh, with, with Hell's Moving Castle, I give that, um... I, I'm kind of torn. I, I give that another another four, I guess. It's mm-hmm. almost a three, but it, it verges into four. Uh, tell, tell me why. Tell me why. It's a good, funny, charming introduction. Um, but I, I take issue with the whole place where seven league boots and stuff actually exist. It's it's like, um, okay, uh, that's that's funny, I guess, but... I'm I'm more charmed by the latter part of the description about oldest girls and stuff. Maybe it's because I come from a family of uh, eight sisters. So I don't know. Anyway, I find it very charming and it does draw you in. So I finally finished the entire Wheel of Time series. Finally. After how many decades? I started reading when I was about 12. <laughs> and I finished two years ago, but I'm, I'm not judging the whole series. Just that first paragraph, I too would give it one to three. We'll average it and say two Tolkien's because the pacing, unfortunately, gives you exactly what to expect. Yeah. Slow, plodding pacing, huge focus on world building and the, the um, its ambition to be an epic epic story while telling you very little about the characters mm-hmm. or the actual story itself but it does set the tone of the book pretty accurately yeah and i don't know to me it encapsulates pretty much what i don't like about most fantasy books 
Mm, because same. many of them are like that. It focuses so much on the flowery prose and the world building. And I'm not trashing Robert Jordan, by the way, as an author. No, 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 he, no, no. He did a lot of amazing things. And I did actually really like a lot of what he did with the Wheel of Time series. It had a sure. very interesting, you know, premise and good characters. But, uh, I mean, nobody can say... Unless you're a die-hard, I cannot hear a word against the man fan of Robert Jordan, you can't say that he, you know, got to the point or that really, really liked his world building like a lot. Yeah, I, I would definitely put it more in that category. I think in in this sort of high fantasy, world building takes a precedence over plot, over story, and plot and story are different things. I'm going to just argue right now. Yeah. Um. We can get into this at another yeah, date. Yeah, we, um, we could go on about this, yeah. Yes. Um, you don't get a ton of story. You don't even get a ton of plot, but you get all this, and here are the mountains of so-and-so, and the rivers of so-and-so, and here's an event that happened a long time ago, and this happened, and this happened, and here's this place, and eventually we're going to learn about why the elves of Yangonboro hate the dwarfs of Mithrandaro and why they fight so much and this war that has been going on for a thousand yon years and the sword of Gilthrandar that was forged to fight no one cares it's like uh, at this point it's like what okay why is this important it's... yeah with without some kind of emotional anchor yeah. to the people in this world i feel like the world itself is going to have to take second fiddle to the characters once we care about the people who inhabit this world then we will care about the world yeah. the world of harry potter was not able to sustain its own you know spin-off series with fantastic beasts we could argue whether it can sustain it now but <laughs> it definitely wouldn't be able to sustain it if we had not had harry potter the silly charming light-hearted story about familial abuse and neglect <laughs> but told in this very fairy tale way this very light-hearted almost playful narrative style yeah and with like this emotionally gripping characters that, that that mature as you mature reading it and without that the world awesome as it is would not have drawn people in yeah and so yeah with every with all of these introductions like i've noticed the best ones always involve the characters like mm -hmm. they're focused on the characters somehow and they tell you a lot about their personality. And if not about their personality, then the personality of the narrator that you're going to be joining with yeah. for the rest of this story. Although, granted, I have seen instances where even character-focused introductions have fallen flat, but that's, you know... <laughs> that takes special ability to kind of... Maybe your characters just aren't even worth talking about in the first place if they're that boring. But that's that's another topic, I guess. You, you have a few books you have there oh, you'd like to read. I, I don't have as many as John because I used to have a pretty vast collection of terrible fantasy books, but it's been trimmed down ever since I, you know, went to college and then graduated and lost everything. So mm, yeah, that's that's actually a marvelous narration of uh, the millennial malaise. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you go to college, graduate and lose everything. Exactly. That's, you might want to write that one down, actually. I like that. Go write it down. Yes. Yes. June believed with absolute certainty that unless she successfully completed her mission by midnight the next day, her dreams were going to kill her. Okay. 
Um, it sucks you in, right? <laughs> uh, well, sort of. I'm. I'm. Her dreams were going to. Your your dreams were going to kill her. <laughs> Unless she completed her mission by midnight. Yeah, I rate this. It's fast, but it's also confusingly worded, and it's not done in a way that makes me care about anything. And so I give it like a zero Tolkien's? I give it an Eddings. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow, that's harsh. Guys, I'm sorry if you like David Eddings. (laughs) We're gonna gonna talk about David Eddings. We are. Not Not that he isn't a good writer... But we'll have things to talk about with David. We Eddings. will talk about, but yes, it is. I give it an Eddings, and that is not high praise. Just in case, no. it is the opposite. Definitely of no Tolkien's. No yeah. Tolkien's, or even a Rowling or a Brooks. It, there's nothing. No, no Shannara's. No Shannara's for you. But uh, so yeah, if for those who were somehow unable to guess, this is the official movie novelization of Suicide Squad. The funny thing is, you told me that you might do that one earlier, and I was not able to guess that that's what it was. (laughs) Really? Well, because I was like, oh, she must have gone with the other one, because I didn't recognize any of that. Yeah, well, I thought it would be a good segue. It It, it is a good segue, (laughs) because what we're doing now, um, now now we're going to begin with the first paragraph of um, the Adzel series. Yes. And... I'm getting myself comfortable because we need to be very comfortable. We need to be so comfy for this. Wow. Um, so here's the first paragraph, which we shall then rank, and then um, and then we'll just continue reading, shall we? Yes, we shall. Oh, okay, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sonadrid lay outside beneath the shade of a tree late one day, tuning his small harp merely because he had naught else to do. He had it propped betwixt his legs, upright, his hands on the gentle curve of it, plucking the strings and wincing when he came upon a discordant one, which was quite often. When at last the instrument was in harmony with itself, he struck up a slow, mournful tune that fit no song he could remember. He had heard it when he was but a babe, and scarcely remembered it, but as he was well versed in the art of music, he found his way through it without much trouble. He inserted a bit of invention of his own into it when he could not remember the tune." So, I will never mm. get over your use of the word mm. betwixt. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think this is the only, like, I've read books written in the, like, 1600s, and this is the first time I've ever seen that word used. <laughs> I did my master's thesis on um, uh, syntax developments between Middle English and Early Modern to 19th century to present day English. Um, following Beckett L 2005, my thesis was published in 2017. Anyway, and I read lots and lots of books and treatises and pamphlets and prayers and records and diaries written in the uh, 1600s, and I never saw the word betwixt. So I give this negative Tolkien's. John, that's an Eddings. You know this. Well, it is an Eddings, but I don't think it even deserves to be recognized Ooh. by Eddings because David Eddings could construct a sentence. This is true. David Eddings could. And it was internally consistent. Here, um, apparently, Sonadred, he's he has nothing to do, which is a great start to any story. <laughs> and out of boredom, Again, just driving that narrative forward like a hammer driving nails in. <laughs> he 
very purpley plays a harp and he starts a slow mournful tune that he doesn't remember because he was a baby when he heard it but because he's a trained musician it's okay that he doesn't remember it because he still figures it out and he makes inventions into this so it's not so much that he's playing a song he remembers as he made up a song yeah this is a sucky first paragraph well it is it doesn't tell you anything about the world no it doesn't at all doesn't tell you anything about the story the it doesn't tell you much well it does tell you a lot about the tone well i think i can definitely tell it's pretty obvious it's painfully obvious that you were a huge tolkien fanboy yes because this is a very it's very um it reminds me it's very 12 year old trying to sound like Tolkien. it sounds like the opening of the hobbit and the lord of the rings except it's you know not not tolkien and it's a 12 year old boy (laughs) Uh, uh, anybody can have access to a string orchestra, but not everybody can write for a string orchestra. The, the opening to The Hobbit is like Vivaldi. Yes. And this is like a 12-year-old kid on Finale playing with putting notes down on a string quartet. Plus, you've got to love the name Sonadrid. That's it. Which, as I re- Classic. Yeah. As I recall, in the original story, that was a name he picked out for himself, <laughs> right? Oh, oh, and it's it's secretly also um, the name of an ancient king who turned evil. Which, I mean, that just makes it even better, because here's a kid who knows about the history of this king, and he decides to name himself after this evil, <laughs> doomed king. So it's, yes. it's kind of like, uh, you know... Uh, an emo kid naming themselves Jakar Noir. Uh, <laughs> mm, Jakar Noir. Yes. Which is. The Black. Yeah. Hearted. Yes. 666. Rose. Heart. Heart. Harley Quinn. Broken. XXX. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so, not good. Um, it definitely does not live up to any of the uh, things we were talking about. And it gets worse. Um, would you like to continue? We'll just do every other paragraph. Oh, I would love to. Okay. Mm. After he finished it, after he finished, he played it again, proud of himself for the song was now his. Proud of himself for the song mm. was now his. He had changed it just enough that it tingled his memory, but obviously not a song that already ex- existed. Okay. He played it over and over, and the sound of it traveled on the wind across the river that was near him and through the forest on the opposite banks. We've done a weird thing with perspective here. This is kind of third person. Is this limited omniscient? Is it? It's. What is it here? It's third person it's past. It's kind of. It's kind of nishent. It's nishent. It's a okay. little nishent. Would it just be shient if we're if we're doing anyway? Um, <laughs> yeah, because now, but it goes away from his perspective, and now we're looking at like the music's perspective, kind of on the wind and following it into the trees. But then we cut back to him. Yes. It seemed then, as the sky went from blue to gold, that a voice came from the trees across the river. It came from the trees. Hearkening to it, Sonadid strained his ears to hear the words. Here I actually picture like cartoon, <laughs> like Chuck Jones style, like the ear enlarges yeah. as he like puts a hand to it. Yeah. Um, he could make nothing of it, and so made a raft of fallen wood and leapt upon it. Uh, heading out towards the water of the river. He's not yet on the water. He jumped on it on the land. 
<laughs> slowly made his way I'm, toward the water. <laughs> I'm just like picturing him like he has he has the raft constructed from the many pieces of wood just lying of, about like the twigs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he like he's very nervous. He backs up and like he did, he makes a running <laughs> Running <laughs> and then he's like just like gently like just pushing inch by inch until he gets into the water <laughs> twigs coming off as he does so. yeah. he uh reached the southern bank and left his makeshift raft on it on the southern bank as he began to follow a rarely used trail through the complex weave of the trees again he heard the sound and understood it come come it cried I see you there, Sonadred, Sonadred, to me, Sonadred. He supposed a child had been lost. Or a hunter had shot a deer and could not carry it back alone. He was not able to tell and the difference between the voice of a hunter <laughs> or a child. And so he set off without fear. In time, he came upon a clearing, and he recoiled at what he saw there. For amidst the leaves stood a tree, massive and looming above his head. And on that tree grinned a, fa- a great face, a great carved face. as oak as it moved, and spoke like that of a man. And Sonager just immediately like wet himself. I assume so. Well, he he recoiled. I, I think that's code for wet himself. Yeah. <laughs> every every time you see recoiled in fantasy, that's actually what it means. Well, like when when Boromir says to Frodo, "Do not recoil. I am no thief." He's he's actually saying like maintain control, dude. What child sounds like I see you there, Sonadred? All of the children in his village are very deep-voiced, and all of the uh, hunters in his village are, um, Sound have like the very high-pitched yeah. voices. Yeah, And they all speak like that. Um, and as I, as I go into the next paragraph, I'd like to point out that I did not indent my paragraphs. I painstakingly put in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 spaces. I actually have the real Word document. <laughs> that I worked off of as a 12-year-old. I don't know how this has been preserved (laughs) since age 12, but I still have this in 2018. In 2019. Oh my gosh. It's 2019. Hello. 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 Hello, it cried to him. And he found himself saying, What in the blazes are you? At this, it burst into laughter. And the sound of the laughter shook the ground and the leaves of neighboring trees. What I am is quite obvious. I am a tree. One of those elder that were saplings many (laughs) thousands of years ago. Through the ages I have watched men and races alike men and studied the sounds (laughs) they made with their throats. I found I could make similar sounds with the wind in my trunk. So fascinating it was when I discovered that I could learn to speak in the tongues of men, and I am not an ent, just so you know. Quite so, I find it, Sonadred exclaimed. His <laughs> eyebrows had shot upon hearing it speak, and so he let them down again. He let them down again, after realizing that they had shot at all. Pardon me, but I am afraid I don't understand why you wished to speak with me. I'm just, again, with the Chuck Jones cartoon comparison here, I'm just imagining his eyebrows just, like, leap, literally leaping into, off. Like, yeah, into the air above his head. <laughs> they shot. As to that, said the tree, I have grown lonesome here in the forest, where solitude is all I have, but I wish to be rid of it. That is why I called you, for only you would behold me and not be afraid. You sound just like Ransom Casterfo in the audiobook version of Bloodline. Which is Star Wars. Really? I have no idea what you're talking about, but okay. okay. 
<laughs> Solidred was on the brink of admitting that he was, in fact, afraid, and being so frightened of the tree, semicolon, he refrained from saying as much. So you have called for me so you would not be alone? Sonadrid asked for clarification, just so you know. Precisely, the tree smiled, and there is much I would like to say to you, but alas, I cannot, for if I were to, it would be the death of me. And so a friendship was made between them for many years, and they met daily, except on rare occasions. Mm. So powerful their friendship was that the tree could call for Sonadrid at will, and Sonadrid would come. Day upon glorious day, they would sit and talk at great length until someone came looking for Sonadred, who would then make a hasty farewell and race along the riverbank until he found his makeshift raft, <laughs> which had not caused him any peril thus far. Wow, he made a great raft, I guess. He made a really good raft, Out guys. Of fallen wood. Don't, don't ask us how. <laughs> Rotten, Jeez. fallen twigs. And so one day he awoke, and after dressing and having a spot of breakfast, he would not dream of skipping this. This was my attempt to be um, talk about hobbits, I guess, even though he's not a hobbit. He entered his bedchamber and sat at a table where a large sheet of parchment and dipped a nearby pen in an inkwell. Prepared okay. to continue the work he had begun long ago, he looked up at his father's map that was hung on his wall, held by small, rusty carving knives. He was so edgy, you guys. His, oh, pun. Oh. His <laughs> father had been a lore master, as Sonadred was. And he traveled the world, learning all of its works and wonders, with an apostrophe, of course. He recorded it all in a leather-bound tome that lay open on a wooden pedestal beside Sonadred's desk. With elegant strokes, he ran his pen across the faint paper in a faint, with a faint scratching sound, making small circles or tiny dots for what seemed hours and hours. When at last, long last, he looked over his work and saw the magnificence and majesty of it. The names of places he had only heard of. Legends of thousands written on this one map he had been writing for years upon years, mimicking his father's work. I'm just picturing like a bunch of like stick figures and yeah, a little house. Little circles and dots. The majesty. Dun, 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 dun. It's so majestic. Oh my goodness. Oh, the majesty. The magnificence. <laughs> Bow before my little circles and tiny dots. <laughs> with their Made with the scratchy sound. <laughs> with the scratching sound that I will later put up on the wall and hang there with rusty carving knives. Because <laughs> I've got plenty of those <laughs> lying around. Lots of those in my bedchamber <laughs> where I do this sort of thing. Proud of himself, he set his quill within its well, because you should leave your quills within their inkwells. Responsible. Yes, very, and folded his map neatly and left it within his father's leather tome on the pedestal. <coughs> Strolling happily, he left his chambers and his small house into the wide cobblestone-covered street. <laughs> it's not paved with cobblestones, it's just a street just... with... They just tossed him out there. Yeah, cobblestones just covering the street. (laughs) Many a cart and horse-drawn carriage lay unattended, 
for in this rural village, who feared burglary <laughs> and left to go about his daily business. They're pretty stupid villagers. They are, to be fair, as we'll discover. <laughs> uh, just overall, it's the theme of this whole story. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the day was that of the Festival of Foundation. Capitalized. when the citizens. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. When the citizens of great nations rejoiced in the founding of their castle, king, and country. A mighty feast was held that night, and banners of their country, Narthazel, fluttered gloriously from every window and doorway. Kegs of ale were set up on tables, where many empty mugs lay cleaned for use, and fluters and harpers prepared themselves for the festival. Now, this sounds could, like this sounds like propaganda right it, here. I was gonna say like this is vaguely like nationalist <laughs> yeah, stuff is. going on here. Do you expect the military parade to start any second now? Those gloriously fluttering banners. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, from every windowsill. Um, yeah, <laughs> especially because now we did, we attempted to read through earlier and had audio issues, which is why we're re-recording this. Um, which is just as well because I started laughing so hard I hyperventilated and yes, um, it was it was awesome. It was. And that's actually maybe it's good we're reading alternate paragraphs now the other way because now we get to read new paragraphs and um and I I pointed out last time as I will point out again that um there is no king or castle. <laughs> they they don't actually have one in North <laughs> Um, we as, don't know that. Well, I drew the map. I, I, I drew it out and I did all this world building. And I actually neglected to give them a castle. Um, eventually they get driven out of here and wind up petitioning other kingdoms for help. But they don't actually have a king or a castle. As the sun sank and the last preparations were made, a long table was set up in the village square, capitalized, lit with many candles and small torches. <laughs> small torches no big ones small torches yes Tiny ones. like maybe like <laughs> arm sized and a great <laughs> feast was laid upon it this one long table yes. many onlookers were sent away for the time being as the festival was not quite ready yet this was a tiny village it was very tiny apparently but big enough to have an economy that supported like everyone having a banner excitement was thick in the air and there were many hushed whisperings of rumors some completely false others somewhat true but all were tied closely to the festival we're not going to hear any of them though because i did no fireworks (laughs) just the many scents of roasting meats and baking breads wafted out of the small bakery (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where they also roast meats near the village square and into the wide roads surrounding it as the last golden rays of the sun were diminished and the torches lit again on every building and roadside and a thick-set bearded man came amidst the people with a festive look about him <laughs> Also, I'm just going to imagine it's like, more torches! We need more torches! It's <laughs> not festive enough! Tor- yeah, the festivities <coughs> require more torches. So they're just, everything's on fire at this point, so. <laughs> uh, a broad smile stretched across his, the thick-set bearded man, with a festive look about him. A broad smile stretched across his face, <clears throat> and they knew him as their mayor. Meldon, he was called. <laughs> Or rather, he was not called, though Meldon was his true name, must they do swag. This was written before the term 
swag <laughs> in its modern day understanding. <laughs> With two G's. Uh, if merely because it was a rather amusing name. Swag. So John came up with this completely on his on his own. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you have no excuse whatsoever. <laughs> oh, so good. Now I don't have an excuse. It was just a <laughs> swag. Uh, just, yes, the mayor's name is Swag. Come now and seat yourselves at the tables. Even though we established there's only one table, cried he. With surprising patience, they did so, and music was stricken up in a quick, jovial tune. When much of the food was gone, and the people were sitting or sprawling in their chairs, Sonadred leapt upon his table and began to sing a ballad, which what follows is actually not a ballad, but, uh, and fiddlers and harpists playing a slow, ancient tune that he had taught them. <clears throat> One that was unfamiliar to most. Oh, he's a hipster. Fun. I okay. Um, coming up with tunes to fantasy songs. Oh, there boy. he did cry okay. <clears throat> as Here the enemy go. came mm. in vain. Yet they cringe not at mm. pain. And with his war cry, Santa Dread ordered them slain. <laughs> uh, your turn. And at them he went, his army behind him, though his sword was bent, and his hair was unkempt, (laughs) thus flew and trailed behind him. Yet he attacked in great haste, his men followed their lord, his rage their foes did taste, but yet they laid waste, (laughs) thus was the vicious horde. Enraged with they, they heeded not the Lord falling. <laughs> Leapt no. did they into the fray, no. and left the king hopelessly calling. No barrow was made, no headstone erected, no funeral dirge played, no eulogy prayed, no body had the grave protected. <laughs> oh, are you sure you didn't come up with enough with enough rhymes for for aid there, John? I I um. <laughs> strayed spade here's definitely uh, his, how it sounds his pets they were spayed his pets they were spayed and his arms they were splayed <laughs> as they punched in punched his uh maids and um okay yeah so that's bad <laughs> that was terrible i'm sorry i and what happened then came a cry from swag Sonnet glanced at him and replied, I know not, none do. So why did you sing it? Swagga stared intensely at Sonnet as though he did not believe him. It fits well with the festival. (laughs) The merry spirit of the festival. (laughs) Hooray, festival. He ordered them slain, (laughs) said Sonnet The lord in the ballad was the first ruler of Narthazel. Well sung then, Swagga cried, eyes alight once again. The evening carried on, the evening carried on in much the same fashion. You don't need to know anything else what happened after that. No. With a great, <laughs> with a great many uh, activities, activities. And, and songs, with a keg or three of <laughs> ale left empty. Just one keg or three for the entire village <laughs> was left empty as they did their many activities. <laughs> Whatever those are. What do medieval people do? I don't know. Until... When the moon had risen and was completely waxed, 
Sonadred began to feel a stirring within him. <laughs> Sonadred, no. <laughs> Run, Sonadred, you Control don't want Control yourself. <laughs> With a silent farewell. Remember who you are, Sonadred. <laughs> oh, he has to, he, he needs to find a private place. To <laughs> remember what you stand for. He managed to creep out of the throng of dancers, singers, drinkers, and musicians. And into the sparse trees near the village by the river. Oh, no, it's, this is going wrong, man. <laughs> this is going fast. So- the tree was calling to him, though he knew not why. He slunk to his hidden raft oh. and cast himself into the into the river, floating across ever so slowly. <laughs> At length, he came upon the opposite shore and leapt upon it, heating up the raft, slowly floating away in the gentle current. <laughs> The few beams of moonlight leaking. (laughs) 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 Were all he needed, and indeed all he had, to navigate his way through the labyrinth. Ew! That's so gross! (laughs) We didn't make it this far in the last read through until he came upon the clearing where tall stood the talking tree. (coughs) It had a worried stammer in its voice when it whispered, Dark things walk this wood tonight and in nights yet to come. You must leave now and never return lest they find and destroy you. What do you mean? <laughs> Sonadred nearly he, cried. He only nearly cried it. Oh, right. sorry. I mean, what? <coughs> what do you mean? Sonadred nearly cried, but the tree only hushed him and bade him return to the village with a tearful, if hasty, farewell. Sonadred sped back along the path he had taken, his heart pounding louder in his ears than his heavy footfalls. Till he came upon the riverbank to find his fairy missing, which, you know, really isn't that big a mystery since he jumped off of it, but whatever. Uh, Dread crept up his spine, and he recalled the tree's foreboding utterings. Caught up in his fear, he barely noticed an iron-hard and ice-cold hand hand grip his tunic. (laughs) He barely noticed it? He barely noticed it. With a cry, he was hoisted into the air and hurtled into the- Suddenly turbulent waters, yet as he plunged into the frigid depths, he caught a glimpse of a cloaked figure standing alone with an outstretched hand, draped in black cloth, and he saw no face save only a gaping mouth, red and fiery. With a last cry, all faded and became dark. Yes, this is uh, where we, um, I was attempting to do the Eye of Sauron, but it can't be the eye of Sauron, so it was the mouth of this dude. And I guess we've uh, skipped a uh, skipped to a new scene. The room was cold and barren, lacking in any ornament or tapestry. Yet it was a grand chamber. Okay. The, the stone walls were circular. Okay, they were circular and devoid of a door or passageway of any kind. The roof was higher than Sonadred's bleary eyes could see, for the light from the torches surrounding him did not reach it. Uh, the torches themselves were odd, for they gave no warmth, and the flame was not flame at all, but cold lashes forking upward, much like the lightning he saw after the thunder roared. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Hear thunder- that. Thunder comes after lightning, John. Okay. I don't know. Don't you hear like a lion's roar every single time it <laughs> thunder? Before the lightning? Yes. 
The light was not orange, but a cold blue, and he heard whispering voices, muttering ancient and forgotten sayings, I guess. Sonodred began to shiver as the voices echoed. No, no, I think this is a new paragraph. Sonodred began to shiver as the voices echoed in the room around him, and the light spilling from the torches began to falter and shift. Something was about to happen. (laughs) The room was anxiously (laughs) awaiting it. Oh no. He could feel his gut gurgling. <laughs> he felt a stirring. <laughs> he felt a stirring. The voices began to whisper louder, excitedly, as the flagstones beneath his feet began to shake. Honored, hold it. Hold it, please. The floor split and opened slowly, a crack widening and revealing a black chasm stretching down for miles, possibly to the centra of the earth. The centra. Centra. I used the British spelling because I, I thought that was cooler. And falling upwards toward him was something. A shimmering object hurtling upwards to greet him. Suddenly it was there in front of him, a beautifully adorned mirror, nearly taller than he was. And in it he saw not his reflection, but that of a slimmer man of dark hair and bright eyes, catching and reflecting the cold light from the torches in it. In his eyes, the man's dark hair fell about his face in black strands. <laughs> he must not have very much of it. No, oh, no, most <laughs> of it tied behind his head in a long, dark tail. Uh, well, now you said that, I'm picturing a guy with like a Mario Batali ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I've got here. Oh. Though Sonadred was greatly frightened by this, he saw a symbolism. <laughs> he paid attention in his English classes. I see he, a symbolism. I see. Teacher, I see a symbolism. There's a symbolism there. He could not say exactly what it was, but he felt oh, so he's he, not very good. But he felt he knew this man, like he'd seen him in past days, a childhood memory of a fairy tale. The man's eyes were hard, but his face was set, and his eyes were hungry. He bared his teeth to reveal sharp, cruel fangs. Sonadred gasped in terror and stumbled backward. The man leapt out of the mirror, no longer a reflection but a living thing. Before Sonadred could cry out, the voices began to sing in a shuddering harmony, okay. eerie and haunting, as the dark man sank his fangs into Sonadred's forehead. <laughs> 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 into his forehead wow he unhinged his jaw <laughs> <laughs> not what i was expecting the room became unclear as if he were looking through the wrong end of a spyglass and the blurry edges faded to darkness climaxing with a swirl of black covering his vision much like a shroud be drawn over his head he felt a stirring he felt a stirring <laughs> Hmm. Okay. As the dream or nightmare faded, it seemed as though all the ballads and sonnets of miracles came to life. I love how he's still doubting whether it's a dream or a nightmare. Or a nightmare. I don't know. Was it bad enough to qualify as a nightmare? (laughs) The nightmares are the ones are when he gets in front of the whole class and has a big stirring. (laughs) Anyway, though he did not expect or even hope to, Sonodred awoke, yet living. And well, a fire was burning in a nearby hearth, and he was lying on a soft bed, with many people standing nearby, anxious looks on their faces. The stillness in the room made him hesitate, but the fact that he felt no pain also made him falter. 
for he had been tossed head first into a churning river, and had been fished from the bottom, and apparently had been dragged across sharp rocks on the river bank to town, for his clothes were rent and torn on his back and legs. Yet he was comfortable in the bed. They didn't bother changing him into better clothes or anything. No, in fact he was must have been still wet when they got him there. <laughs> Do you feel well, lad? Asked a man that seemed vaguely familiar. Vaguely. Swagaga! Sonogen <laughs> cried, amazes that his mind was clear enough to speak and sit upright in his bed. His mind is speaking and sitting upright. Which he did. I feel, well, if I may say so for myself. <laughs> well, if I may say so myself, I've certainly felt better. Tee <laughs> You've a nasty cut there above your eye, Swag pointed out. Sonodred lifted his hand and carefully felt his way around a deep gash across his forehead, or rather, two small gashes. The memory of the nightmare, or air depraved hallucination, or whatever, flooded back to him in a torrent, washing over him and into him. And, and yes, air depraved hallucination is part of the prose there. Yes, it is. Are you all right? Asked another man, lean and green-eyed. He tossed his shoulder-length gray hair out of his clean-shaven, hardened face, <laughs> awaiting an answer. It's like a shampoo commercial. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> Yet this man had a strange mannerism that made Senator uneasy. He answered slowly that he was well, but the man persisted. You are going pale. That says you are not all right, and if you say otherwise... Then I shall have to spank you. <laughs> he trailed off, but kept his eyes on Sonodred, the unsaid threat on his voice. <laughs> Swag! <laughs> what? That was threat! Was I know. it? <laughs> if you're not all right, I'll make sure you're not all right. <laughs> <If you're... laughs> okay, maybe there really was something like that going, okay... <laughs> Um, okay. So what did Swagaga do? <laughs> Many things. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Swag. This isn't actually a very funny sentence, but... Swagia ushered the other men out of the room and asked Sonadred what happened. Ladies weren't allowed. The <laughs> no, there were only men in the room. Sonadred spoke vaguely of a frightened night in the woods, fleeing an unseen horror. He came upon the mentioning of the hand gripping him and tossing him into the river. When Swagia listened intently and questioned him closely of the cloaked being he glimpsed. When Sonadred told him of all he saw, he, with a capital H, God is now part of the narrative, instantly <laughs> stood and began to leave the room. God has left the room. So, um, <laughs> so, okay. I just realized I don't think there's a single woman in this whole story. <laughs> Oh like my gosh, John, you, <laughs> you and every other dang fantasy writer out there. Oh. I didn't even realize that until <laughs> until the line ushered the other men out of the room. I realized I don't think there are any women this is, in this story. This is the opposite of the Amazons. This is a village of men, okay? <laughs> Some of whom have interesting stirrings. <laughs> and others have, they all apparently have beautiful hair that they have to shift out of their face and describe in great detail. <laughs> <clears throat> So, and he tells him all he saw, and he, he instantly stands and leaves the room. But where are you going? cried Sanadred. To the river, Swag replied, and said no more. He died. But you cannot cross the river, Sanadred said urgently, remembering the tree's last words to him. 
But why not? Swag asked, leaving Sonadred wishing he'd stayed silent. For he had said nothing of the truth. I said no more. Uh, well, he didn't say no more, apparently. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> leaving Sonadred wishing he'd stayed silent. For he had said nothing of the tree to anyone, nor did he mean to. It was forbidden to cross the river, a fact we probably could have mentioned earlier. At some point, yes. And he did not want to explain how he'd done just that. <laughs> he did not want to talk about his raft. <laughs> didn't want to share it with anybody. <laughs> his raft made of fallen wood that he leapt upon while still on the land, yes. Apparently, Swag had not realized which bank Sonadred had been tossed from, because there's more than... There's more than one bank. Yeah. At least let me come with you, he pleaded instead. Swagga shook his head. No, Sonadred, you have nearly been killed, and I will not put you in the danger of letting the murderer finish this job, he said as convolutedly as possible. <laughs> but if he was desperate enough to attempt to kill me, then he must be one of the deserters of the war, the Sonadred war? said. <laughs> Referring... <laughs> referring to the War of Nations that had oh, no. occurred nearly a decade ago, a jealous war fought between the countries and pitted allies against one another. Oh, no. <laughs> Any deserters found after the war would be beheaded for treason against their nation. Okay, now we're back to the story. He would kill anyone who crossed his path, Sonadred continued. It would be unwise to go anywhere alone. At this, Swag sighed heavily. <sighs> he examined Sonadred with intensity, then spoke. <laughs> Though I would wish otherwise, I see there is no dissuading you. <laughs> I have to do this by myself. No, you can't. Okay. Very well. You may come along. But tarry not and bear arms should danger arise. Foreboding crept over him, but he convinced himself that he needed to do this thing, else some horrid deed should be would be dealt. That would not help it happen otherwise if he hadn't been there. Yes. <laughs> totally. Some horrid deed would be dealt without him doing this thing. <laughs> Swag left the room, followed shortly by Sonadred, who slipped into his clothes. Wait. Wait a second! Wait! Wait a moment! What? Wait. He was wearing his tattered clothes. He put on more clothes, I guess. <laughs> more clothes. <laughs> Over his wet, uh, ragged yes. river clothes. Okay, anyway. Yes. Followed shortly by Sonadred, who slipped into his clothes and traveling gear and snatched a nearby dagger from... From a windowsill. <laughs> just, just sitting there. The he's adding out the door. He's got all these rusty carving knives. And then <laughs> it's this dagger this that's sitting there. Dagger on the windowsill. He caught up with swag. Little hassle. <laughs> what? He caught he up with caught swag, up little, swag hassle. little hassle. And followed him to the banks of the gently slopping river. <laughs> 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 Uh, where much to his shock he saw his raft dragged upon the shore waterlogged and smothered in algae <laughs> this is a really gross river so is it slopping or is it, it must be slopping if there's algae everywhere it can't be sloping because that's not what a river really does i don't know if i did that on purpose or not <laughs> i personally prefer the slopping river with so much algae that Oh, man. <laughs> the, 
Kisrus dragged this piece out of the river shortly after you were found. Swaggy the raft him. is called a piece now. Yes, it is. He doesn't. He doesn't even deign to call it a raft. It's, it's just a piece. It's a piece. Yeah. I this piece is what all true warriors strive for. <laughs> yes, I trust you know Kithrus. He was suspicious. Kithrus was an old enemy of Sandra's family, jealous of his father's great deeds and the beauty of his wife. Exposition, his father, exposition, 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 exposition. His father had once been going. knighted in the courts of Gomthul, and Kithrus oh. was present, knighted shortly after. Um, oh. As a child, as childhood rivals, <laughs> Kithrus could hardly stand Ivan Hrall, becoming Sir Ivan Hrall, even a week before he, Kithrus, did. Um, Kithrus <laughs> never married, for though he loved a woman once, she had fallen into the Gathast River when on a voyage. Oh, with no. him. <laughs> oh, no. And he felt that loving a woman again would be no less than betrayal. Literally, he followed Ivan to the village that he dwelt until he perished in the forest beyond in hopes that he could achieve revenge. Now that his rival lay buried in the cemetery north of the village, he could only watch and wait while some plotting while plotting some way of revenge on Sonadred. Exposition end. Oh, oh no. And what an exposition. He had loved a woman once until she fell into the river and died. And I, um, and by the way, Sir Ivan Hrall is, is Sonadred's father in case that became confusing. That was confusing. Thank you. I actually did not remember that that was <laughs> And I did not necessarily pick up from that 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 was his father's name. I only remember this because you told me about this a long time ago. And uh, that's literally the only reason. Wow. I remember is... everything, John. It's, well, I'm glad you did, because <laughs> that is the only way we've kept this lore straight so far. <laughs> Sonadred suspected Kithris was attempting to gather evidence <laughs> against him, that the village may eventually distrust and even banish him. This is Shaking a... his head at this, he boarded the small <laughs> vessel with swag, the waterlogged, algae-covered piece with swag, and set out upon the waves. <laughs> the waves of the slopping river. <laughs> lazily riding the current <laughs> downstream until Swagaga reached out for a nearby willow branch stretched out nearby him and used it though it firm though frail it was to pull the raft ashore i love how he's like the the thought of kithris attempting to gather evidence against him and him so he can be banished is like it's more like a minor annoyance <laughs> uh, what that that kithris uh so annoying Ugh. where are we now <laughs> sonadred asked for they had floated a great distance swagga regarded the calm expression on sonadred's face and marveled that a man could undergo <laughs> such a traumatic experience and come out of it apparently unscathed such a traumatic experience of getting on the raft of the willow of <clears throat> this, this is, is all old... he's just been very traumatized okay he's you don't very you don't know what he's been through this is the old willow swag replied at length leaping to the shore and dragging the raft further ashore then pointing to a beautifully beautiful and elaborate etching on the trunk that lay half in the water your father marked it with his robe blade. It stands to mark safe passage across the river. Under the thick veil of leaves and treetops, only a few golden beams of light. Light? It's night! <laughs> it's still night! We didn't say, you didn't say what color the moon was. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Leaked through to shine on patches of a near-invisible path through the trees. 
Sonadred pondered this, remembering the great sword his father had always carried with him. <laughs> always. <laughs> which had been awarded to him after the war, when he was knighted in Gomthul. It now lay in a wooden chest near Sonadred's bed. Must be a big chest. Do you know how big a sword is? Especially a great sword. A great sword. Given to him after his father's mysterious death, the cause of which seemed to... Who gave it to him? <laughs> Also, why are we only just learning this, like, right now? And how, if his father always carried it with him, why was it not with him when he died, mysteriously? Given to him after his father's mysterious death, the cause of which seemed to be slowly unraveling. Ooh. Was it, though? (laughs) Yeah. Swag and Sanadrid set out into the dark (laughs) woods. they're, They're dark again. Um, so it's night once more. Very cautiously and walking slowly... Very cautious and walking slowly upon the path. Jittery, too, apparently, for every time a bird took flight, it's day again? Or a bush rustled, one or both of them would take a defensive stance and loosen their weapons from their sheaths. Okay. Oh, yeah, Sonager had a dagger, I remember. Yes. We didn't say Swagga did, but yeah. Where are we going to, Sonadred? Swag asked the youth after taking to following along the dirt path. What? Sonadra didn't answer immediately, and when he did, it made little sense. Even the author has to admit that. <laughs> to the tree, was all he would say, despite Swag's best efforts. And of course, to the tree is kind of a very weird thing to say, because um, how would they be going to the tree if Sonadra doesn't know where they are? Because he hasn't been here before, because he didn't know what the tree was, the willow, that Swag is the one who got them to the willow, and, uh... Who is following who? What's going on? Is it night? Is it day? <laughs> Nobody knows! Uh... Nobody knows! Well, and it is there that we should leave off, for we've been speaking for nearly two hours. Th- this is, um... This is but. This is but. Um, but this is indeed it's very but. fun, yes. <laughs> and it is a butt that we are gleefully spanking. <laughs> no, as no! We, as we read and, and comment and attempt to assert, assert <laughs> any measure, that was in fact a slip of the tongue. And I beg your pardon. Uh, any semblance. <laughs> oh dear. I can't have that in the version because mom's going to hear this eventually. (laughs) (laughs) I call it a Freudian slip. (laughs) Okay, I'm so. Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. Oh, okay. Alright, I'm I'm composed. I'm sorry. Well, this wasn't. We, yes, we'll have to leave off there. Um, we'll return to this with more topics like conlanging, world building, and just generally not sucking. Which, and if, and if you can't trust two unpublished would-be authors who have no sort of author pedigree or any kind of endorsement underneath their belts, then who can you trust? Until uh, next time, fare ye all. Very well. Yes, yes, farewell.